Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here again with us. Did any of you play softball and were sore for a couple days after that? <laughs> yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, but it was man, took a long time to recover from that. But thank you for all of you who pitched in to help. Um, there was just a handful of folks grilling and serving, and it just made it just, the whole event was just a great a great day. And so. Well, over the next three weeks, I want to talk to you about what it means to worship God. And particularly when we gather together here on a Sunday morning. Why do we, why do, we do this? Why do we gather together? And have you ever wondered about why we do all the singing we do every Sunday? That gathering together and singing with people is not normal, okay? This is very unusual um, for, from our normal routines. When else would you actually do this? When else would you get together with people and sing? Um, you might go to a professional baseball game and you might kind of mumble your way through the national anthem, but nobody is there to hear us sing and, and we're there to watch the baseball game. Or you might go to your favorite concert and just sing with the band, you know, with or without you, or I don't know who you're... Who you're, you know, and just sing from the top of your lungs the song that you know really well. Again, no one is there to hear you sing, okay? We're there to watch the performance. And you might get caught up and start raising your hands and singing. But again, we're paying money to hear the band, to hear the performers, the professionals. So what we do on a Sunday is really, really unique. It's very unique. Uh, singing is just one part of the hour, you know, one part of what we do. We, we look at God's Word, we hear a message each week from God's Word. We pray, we, we give, we, we serve, we interact hopefully with one another, and maybe there's an opportunity for encouragement to go on. Um, hopefully we, re- we respond to God in some way. My goal over the next three weeks is really to help us understand more fully why do we do what we do when we gather. Um, now some of you, you might be new to church and so this might be a new experience. It's important for you as you're investigating what Christianity is all about or what, what we're doing on a Sunday morning. It's important for you to understand the point of all this so that you can decide whether or not you want to build this as a habit into your life. So that's what I'm hoping to answer. Um, and for, for others, you may have been coming together and you know on a Sunday morning for long time. Maybe this is just a pattern of your life for many, many years. If that's you, then you're in danger, and I would say I'm in danger, of just kind of going through the motions of a Sunday, a typical Sunday, and and going through the motions so much to where we would just miss the point uh, of what God would intend. And so we gather together to worship God. We often worship by singing, now, the interesting thing about some of the songs that we sing, and actually there's a sad reality about some of the contemporary kind of worship songs that are being written. Um, sometimes some of the contemporary worship songs that are written strongly resemble love songs just from our culture. And so uh, sometimes you, you'll hear a song on, on the radio or, or in the Christian radio station, and you can almost like swap out Jesus with your girlfriend's name or your wife's name because 
it's just it has this romantic feel about it. And so we're going to play a game. And I want you to be involved in this game. The game is contemporary worship song versus love song. Okay? So you get to choose. Okay? Here's the lyrics of the first one. Your love is one in a million. It goes on and on and on. And you give me a really good feeling all day long. Is this a worship song or a love song? Who thinks it's a love song? Who thinks it's a worship song? Okay. This is a love song. Okay, it's a love song. You got it right. Okay. One in a million. It's a love song. Okay. Here's another one. We're going all the way. (laughs) And the wonder of it all is that I'm living just to fall more in love with you. Is this a worship song? Who thinks it's a worship song? Who thinks it's a love song? I know. Going all the way, you know? Well, this is a worship song. (laughs) Called Deeper by Delirious. And, you know, we're just going to move on from there. Uh, As I feel your touch, you bring a freedom to all that's within. Love song or worship song? Can't really tell the difference, huh? Well, what do you think? Who thinks it's a love song? Okay. Who thinks it's a worship song? Well, most of you, you're right. That's a worship song. Pour out my heart. <laughs> you know? Here's another one, okay? I can feel you breathe. It's washing over me. Suddenly, I'm melting into you. What is this? Is this a love song? Who thinks it's a love song? Who thinks it's a worship song? Okay, it's a love song. Okay? Faith Hill. Freeze. Okay, here's another one. This one gets me. (laughs) A sloppy wet kiss, and my heart turns violently inside of my chest. (laughs) You're like, seriously? Or even. Okay, is this a worship song? Who thinks it's a worship song? Who thinks it's a love song? It's a worship song. (laughs) A sloppy wet kiss. I was preaching in a chapel like a week ago or two weeks ago, and the the worship band played this song. And we're singing this song, and we get to this part, and the lyrics come up, and I'm like, I ain't singing that. (laughs) In my mind, I'm just like, I reject this right now. I, I... a sloppy wet kiss. But the, the worship leader, he actually swapped this line out. And they must have, you know, censored, you know, censored this in the Christian market because he had a totally different line. But the PowerPoint was, the, was this version right here. And so it was kind of funny. Made for an awkward moment. I just looked around the gymnasium. There's all these middle and high schoolers just kind of like giggling about this song. I mean, yeah. Here's the one more. My first, my last, my everything, and the answer to all my dreams. Is it a worship song? Who thinks it's a worship song? Okay. Love song. Love song. Who wrote this? Anybody know? Barry White. (laughs) Thank you, Tom. (laughs) He's bumping that on the car over on the way over here this morning. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, another question for you. How can you tell if someone is really worshiping? How can you tell? It's hard to tell. Sometimes people, um, you know, they put their hands up. Some, sometimes people are, you know, they just take on a posture that you, wow, they must be really worshiping. I've got some pictures I want to show you. We're going to, it's going to, the first one is, the slide is going to be a zoomed in of this person. And you tell me whether you think this person is worshiping or not. Okay, so here's the first one. How many of you think he's worshiping? Put your hands up. Don't be afraid. How many of you think he's not worshiping? Okay. The rest, you're like, I don't know. I don't want to be wrong. Okay, let's pull it back. He's at a concert. There's probably some marijuana in the air right there. Everybody's, everybody's just kind of taking it in. So, okay. Next one. Here we go. Is this guy worshiping? Who thinks he's worshiping? Okay, we got a few. Let's let's pan it back. He just scored a goal. Please, God, help us to win the, the World Cup. We don't want to lose the World Cup. <laughs> we get real religious at sports games, don't we? All right, here's another one. How many of you think this guy's worshiping? Looks like he's deep in prayer, right? He's really deep in prayer. What's he doing? He's sleeping. <laughs> Many of you could see that. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell if a person's worshiping, isn't it? The reason is because worship occurs in the heart of a person. It's, it's on the inside, in our heart. That inside part of you, the thinking, deciding center of who you are. That's where worship occurs. Now, what is true of a heart that worships God? I want to look at a definition of worship and then identify three components of the heart that worships. Um, So let's first define what worship is. Look at what King David wrote in Psalm 34, verse 3. He said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Worship is this. Worship is the act of magnifying God. Okay, We're magnifying God. It can be done alone. But as this psalm kind of indicates, it often occurs together with other people who have gathered for the same purpose, to worship God, to magnify God. The more we gather, and, and sometimes the more people that are gathered together, the greater sense that we have that we're, we're magnifying something together. And when you magnify a physical object, what you do is you take a lens and you focus in on something in order to enlarge it so that you can study it, so that you can really examine it. And that's really what we're doing. We're examining God. We're studying God. We're, we're magnifying Him when we gather together to worship. Now usually in our lives, we tend to magnify things in our own lives. We, we can magnify problems. We can magnify our own agendas or our own selves. But when we gather together on a Sunday, we're putting a magnifying glass on God. And we're actually, when we're doing this, our problems, our agendas, and our pressure all kind of takes on their proper size. Those issues in our life, in our whole lives, really get resized when we magnify God. Now, God is invisible. If we don't choose to, to magnify Him and really focus on Him here and now, we can move through our weeks 
or any any given year even, just largely ignore God. We can be ignorant of His greatness. We can just totally miss His power and His involvement in our lives because we just tend to forgive Him. So what we do is we have to choose to focus on Him. We choose to magnify Him. Now one day in the future, God will be visible and every knee will bow. But right now, it's a choice. Right now, we choose. We set this side, uh, this time aside. Or you may set aside time when you're just alone in order to magnify God. Now, true worship always has, always has three components. And so, in Isaiah chapter 6, we sang that song, I See the Lord. And we're going to, we sang that song that's based out of this uh, chapter that we're going to read. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, he's a prophet. And he gets a glimpse of heaven. Okay, this is about uh, 750 years before Jesus comes to earth, before God, you know, you know, comes to be with man. So this is 750 years before, and because he gets this glimpse of heaven, and because of that glimpse, he didn't need to have a magnifying glass to see God. Okay, he's just able to take it in and and. I want to show you the components that, that follow. So here's the first one. If the first component of worship doesn't occur, then the other two will not as well. So the first one is this, is that true worship begins with awe. True worship begins with awe. What I mean is that God gets bigger and, and we shrink down. We get smaller. Look at chapter 6 in Isaiah, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. High. And lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, these beautiful angels. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth. Is full of his glory. So they they like they declared this, they sang this in a sense, and and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Again, Isaiah he didn't need a magnifying glass here. He and these angels really are in complete awe. They're in awe. Now we're told in the beginning about the timing. If we look at verse one, we're told of the timing of Isaiah's glimpse into heaven for a, for, a, for a reason. Now this was the time of chaos in Israel. If you, if you look at verse 1, it says, King Uzziah, he, he had died. Now this king, he died in 758 B.C. Okay? We're told that he died of leprosy. Now he was a king that had reigned for 52 years, which is a long time. Anytime a king rules for that long, that means there's stability for the kingdom. Things are good for the people, generally speaking. They know what to expect. But then when the king dies, the death of a king usually is a cause for grave concern. And an orderly transfer of power was kind of a rare thing to where people would just, you know, the next person would come in line. What would typically happen was this family feud or other families would feud in order to try to get the throne. And so you would expect that because of the chaotic time for Israel, you would expect that the Activity of heaven would be centered around this earthly problem, around this grave situation. 
But not so. Heaven is captivated with something else. God is on the throne. Earthly thrones come and go. But what we're really seeing here is nations come and go, but God's kingdom is never in jeopardy. Heaven seems to be captivated with with someone so great that nothing can distract from Him. And this is really what it means to be in awe. Awe occurs when something just captures our attention. That's awe. Something has, has just totally captured my focus, my mind. And this is what ha- appears to have happened in, in Isaiah chapter 6 with these angels, these seraphs. They are in awe also by God. Now their first response, it says, is to cover up. Okay, They're covering up. Um, possibly because God's brilliance was just too much to look at. More likely because they were saying, do not look at us, look at Him. They're covering themselves up. Now these are brilliant, magnificent creatures. The seraph, the word seraph means burning one. And so if you can just imagine this, this magnificent, glowing angel, and just how dazzling that would be for Isaiah to see these creatures. But in the presence of God, um, they're covering their brilliance up and all eyes are directed to the throne and to the One who's on the throne. Now that, that gives you this picture of awe, this sense of awe. That's what happens when we're in the presence of someone you know, amazing, important. I don't, I don't have any famous friends. You might have some, some really famous friends. Um, in fact, every time... I meet a famous person or bump into a famous person, I get starstruck and I do dumb things. And uh, I can give you a handful of stories, but um, recently there's two. I met Kirk Cameron. This was quite a while ago. You're laughing because you're like, he's not famous. He is famous. He was the 80s teen actor, Kirk Cameron, that Kirk Cameron. And then, uh, and then this other guy, you're not going to know who this is. His name is Sean McDowell. He's the son of Josh McDowell, who is famous. He's a Christian author, Christian apologist. And his son is kind of an up-and-coming um, Christian author and apologist as well. And he was speaking at a retreat that myself and a couple of our um, pastoral staff were at. And we were at this retreat, and there was a point where this guy, Sean McDowell, was sitting on a phone, or he was like he was texting on his phone, and he was kind of sitting near this mess hall, cafeteria area, and just across this path, probably me, you know, 20 feet away, I'm on the other side of this path, and I'm talking on the phone, and I see him all alone, I'm like, oh, I got a chance to meet him, just to talk to him, just, you know, something, I'll try not to say something dumb, and so, you know, I hang up the phone, and I'm, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go over there, and I trip on this rock. <laughs> I trip on a rock and I snap my sandal and I do this kind of like falling, but I don't fall and eat it. I just tripping to fall and then I kind of recapture it. And then the people that saw it just kind of turned as if they didn't see, including him. So I'm not going over there after that. So I just kind of walked away, <laughs> limped away with this, with my lame sandal. It was split. That didn't go well. Didn't get to really, you know, have any good interaction there. With Kirk Cameron, 
um, I tried to play it cool. At the time, I was a junior high youth pastor, and my job was to make sure that none of the moms clawed their way to this 80s heartthrob. And so that was my job, keep the moms back. And he was a really laid-back guy. He was really friendly. That's something I really noticed. He was a super friendly guy. And as he visited with our staff, you know, what did we talk about? Well, we talked about him. He told us about his life. We asked him questions. You know, we didn't talk about us. He'd say, hey, you want to know how, how life is here in our... No, we just kept asking him questions about what his life was like. And he's sharing about his career and just the things he'd done. And we'd ask him questions. He wasn't bragging. He was just sharing as we were answering, asking him questions. Well, I'm not going to interrupt him and say, you know, your life's pretty good. Let me tell you a little bit about mine. And we're not going to interrupt a person like that. No, when we're in the presence of someone who's more important, then we just listen and we learn. We take that in. This is what awe does. It kind of gets, it pushes us back from our normal self-centeredness and it puts us in position to really see our lives from a much larger perspective. And if people can generate awe, how much more should God in our lives? And I can't visit God. I can't, you know, have this tour of heaven like Isaiah is having. And so how can I experience awe this side of heaven? Really, there's two ways. Psalm 19 gives us two ways that we can experience awe this side of heaven. Look at Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. David, the king, writes this. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The whole earth is filled with head-turning beauty that really just points us to God and moves us to awe when we see what God has made. When we look at oceans, I, I could just sit on a bench at the beach and just watch the ocean. It's relaxing. It's refreshing. It's awe-inspiring. I could look at the mountains. I could be in the mountains. Just look at the mountains. I love seeing the greenery of the forest. If you ever get out of the smog and you can see the stars, you know it's, it's beautiful to just take in um, the sky and... and all of what God has made is just so stunning. And we live in such a beautiful state with all of these awe-inspiring sights that we can visit. Here's a, a few pictures from some places around our state. The first one is of Emerald Bay. This is in Lake Tahoe. This is a little kind of nook within Lake Tahoe that you can go to. And, and it's beautiful. It's amazing. I've, I've been to this place. It's just It's amazing. Here's another picture of June Lake. Look how beautiful that is. I don't know if you can see the stars, but you know, you get out away from the city and you on and you can sit there and take it in and say, My God, he made that. And you get away from the things that man has made and you see what God has made. It just it's all inspiring. Here's another picture. This is Big Sur at sunset. It's just beautiful. Another picture of a sunset. This is at Laguna Beach at sunset. You know, don't you just love watching the sunset and seeing the, the, the colors change in the sky, going from orange to deeper orange to purple, and then seeing the stars come out, if we can see the stars. I mean, it's just amazing. And all of these beautiful sights, they, what they do is they cause us to look up 
and honor the God who made the whole universe and everything in it. And worship Him. This is oftentimes why we use pictures of God's creation as backdrops behind the words that we sing for worship. Is oftentimes those pictures of God of the you know what God has made is just again it draws our hearts to worship Him. Even the songs, the lyrics, those those lyrics there to point us to the beauty and the magnificence of who God is. Psalm nineteen it goes on to tell us the other way that, that we can experience all this side of heaven. Look at verse seven. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word is so razor sharp. Is what he's saying is God God's word is it's just it fits the moment. It's perfect. It revives. It opens up our eyes. It is so accurate. The, the Scripture is so accurate with what, what God says. Think of how many times you've maybe heard the Bible taught or you've read it and, and God just cuts through the noise of everything going on in your life and He just zeroes right in on what you needed to hear. And you're like, wow, it's like God spoke to me this morning or today. I don't know how many times people have communicated that. How God, through His Word, He just he, he speaks to us. Well, God's laws, they're perfect. King David, he, he's the one who wrote this. He summarizes this in another psalm, Psalm 119, verse 120. He says, My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. He's worshiping God through His Word. And as we consider God's Word each Sunday, as we gather, as we sing, and as we hear His Word taught, God begins to speak to each of us. And there's nothing quite like having God open your eyes spiritually. There's nothing like Him encouraging your heart or instructing your mind like that. That's awe. And this kind of awe, again, is chosen. You, you choose that. Awe in heaven will not be a choice. It's just going to be automatic at that point. Or awe when Jesus returns will also not be a choice. It just says that every knee will bow when He returns. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For those that follow Him and will live with Him for all eternity and for those that won't, every knee will bow. They'll be in awe. But right now, here we are. We have an opportunity to choose to be at awe at God's Word. And, and we're only going to be in awe now if we'll prepare our heart to really listen and to learn. If we arrive to church distracted and irritated or upset, bitter, or in a rush, and sometimes we can't help the rush. Sometimes we have kids and there's circumstances. But if that's the pattern where we're always just distracted, then we will be so much in a rush that we'll miss the awe completely. And if you... On the flip side, if you'll just arrive ready to hear from God, eager to hear from Him, God, I'm here and I need you to speak to me today. I need a word from you today. If you do that, He will. He speaks to us. He cuts through the noise in our lives and the problems in our lives. 
when he does that, we find ourselves at this place of real awe of what's being described here. Now, I've spent most of my time focusing on this first point because without it, the other two really won't happen. But here's the next two. The, the second one is this. True worship moves from awe and it progresses to gratitude. Progresses to grat- gratitude. Isaiah 6, verse 5 says this. Isaiah said, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is the most common response in the Bible whenever someone sees heaven or gets a manifestation of God. This is the most common response. It's sheer terror. <laughs> Why is that? Well, it's because they're, they're against the backdrop of a perfect and holy God. People see just how impure they really are. And so this is not just an observation that Isaiah is making. This is sheer terror. He's basically saying, oh no, I'm a dead man. I've seen God. Holiness is not just a mark of moral 100%. It's not that we get like an F on the, on the report card and God gets an A. It's the condition of absolute purity. God is absolutely pure. It's hard for us to get our minds around that. He's absolutely pure. It's kind of like how 24 karat gold, it's, it's pure gold. It's the purest. The presence of any alloy changes it. It would no longer be pure 24 karat gold. And so the, the presence of anything impure among something that's holy is impossible. It would no longer be holy. God can't lose His holiness. This is why against the backdrop of other people, we don't often see our impurity when we're just hanging around with each other. Because the truth is, we all have problems. And so this is why it's comfortable sometimes to just do life with others and to just avoid worshiping God. Because if we want to feel better about ourselves, just hang out with people with problems. All of a sudden, we're like, man, I'm boosting my self-image every day. Because I'm hearing, you know, my life's not that bad. My life's not that bad. And so we're tempted to to do that and to boost our own self-image. But when you stand before the presence of God and let His words speak to you, it's not long before we see our impurity. This is why God is called a consuming fire. It's because He is absolutely pure and He purifies anything that He comes into contact with. And that's a scary thought. That's what Isaiah is saying. Oh no, I'm lost. I'm an impure man among impure people. I've seen the Holy One. Look at what happens. Verse 6. This is what happens. Then one of the angels, one of the seraphim, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now how can a live coal that touches someone's lips purify them of sin? It really can't. But this is a picture of what Jesus came to do. Here's the dilemma in our relationship to God. We are mostly alloy. We're mostly alloy. We're not 24 karat gold when it comes to holiness and purity. We're more like 4 karat gold. We'd be lucky if we'd even get to the like double digits on the gold carrots. 
But God is, he, he is he's like a furnace that only 24 karat gold can survive in. So how can we ever be in His presence? Only because God loves us. Only because of His kindness to us. Only because of His grace. He devised a way for, for, you know, for us to be purified. And He did that without destroying us. What He did is He took on a body in the person of Jesus and He walked through the fire to us. Jesus is the live coal taken from the fire of God's holiness. And if we'll humble ourselves before Him, and if we'll decide to follow Him, then His life touches our lives and purifies us without destroying us. Our guilt is taken away. Our sin is paid for by someone other than ourselves. Jesus, He died in our place. He he was destroyed in our place. And when you realize that, suddenly, all of a sudden, our problems get resized in His presence. And what that does, it leads us to gratitude. We start understanding what He has done and what length He went. And so this is why so much of what we talk about and sing about just keeps taking us back to the cross of Christ. Keep going back to the cross because that's, that's, where, that, that, that's where everything hangs in the balance. That's where your, your life can be redeemed and restored. And so given who God is and who we are, we just can't get over the fact that He loves us and He helps us and He forgives us and He keeps reaching into the various parts of our lives in order to purify us. Finally, this last point on worship is it goes, begins with awe, progresses to gratitude, and it ends with obedience. True worship ends with obedience. This is how we know if we've truly worshipped if it has changed us. That's the big issue. Has it changed us? Worship is much more than just an emotional experience. You know, sometimes we come to church and we worship and we feel something. Like, we feel an emotional response. But sometimes we don't. That's not the point of worship, the feeling. That's not the goal of our worship service, the feeling. Look at verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. This is where true worship always ends up. God, what do you want me to do? This is what our hope is. For our services, for why we gather. God, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want. If, if you in your heart would say that regularly, God, what is it you want me to do? Now, if God appeared before us right now and said, hey, stop everything. I need a volunteer. That's kind of what's happening in this scene. I need a volunteer. Our response would probably be, tell me a little bit about the job. Tell me some a little <laughs> Give me a little bit of insight into the mission. Can I see the job description? Can I see how long this is going to involve? You know, what's what's the mission completely? You know, I, we often respond conditionally, but not Isaiah. Not Isaiah. He's in awe of God's magnificence. Then he's seen God's mercy, and because of that, he's got gratitude flowing from his heart, and he just says, "God, I'll do whatever you want." He doesn't know what the assignment's going to involve. He just, "God, sign me up." I'm your man. 
And if we leave this place each Sunday and nothing about our week is impacted, nothing really has changed, we may have felt something, but we've not worshipped Him. Because true worship ends with obedience, a yielding. We might have listened to some things and considered the ideas presented, but again, we haven't stood in jaw-dropping awe of God's greatness. We might have realized, yeah, there's some things I should work on, but we haven't stood before our consuming, you know, God, the consuming fire, and realized what great lengths He has went to to purify us from our sin. And so, I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage. And before we totally wrap up, our ushers, you can also prepare to receive the offering. I want to just highlight why we have next steps each week. The reason we have next steps are on the bottom of your listening guide and they're also on the back of your connection card. So if you pull out the connection card right now, if you flip it over to the back, it says, I'll take this this next step. The reason we do this, the purpose of these each week is to help us consider consider steps of obedience. That's that's the whole point of it. It's a step of obedience because that's an act of worship, obedience. And so what it does, it gets us all thinking together about how do I need to change? It gets us thinking about, God, what do you want me to change? Because we've gathered together to have our lives resized by God. That's why we gather. We gather together to have our lives resized by God. And so this life is not about me. It's about Him. So let me suggest a couple of ways. You might have something very specific already, and I'd encourage you, if God's spoken already about something He wants you to do in obedience, then, then by all means do that. Here's some things that I could suggest to you. One would be read Psalm 19. Read the rest of that psalm. Many of the psalms really help us prepare for worship. Second one is come prepared to worship, I would say next Sunday. Or just come prepared to worship on Sundays. Deal with the distractions. When you know that, oh man, i got a lot on my mind, just deal with those things. Deal with those distractions in the morning. Maybe offer up a prayer to God in the morning. God, I want to hear from You. I need You to speak to me today. Would You settle down my anxious heart? God, I just hand these things over to You right now. These things are real. They're weighing on me. But God, I need a word from You. I need You to speak to me this morning. And then when you get here, sing out. I want to encourage you. Sing out. This isn't a concert. You know, We want you to sing out. You might be like, I don't have a good voice. That's why we keep the music nice and loud. We want it loud. We want everyone to sing out. Make a joyful noise is what we're told. We want you to sing out. And then come prepared to listen. Come prepared to listen, to learn, to respond. To, you know, engage with it. How, however you need to engage. Some people like taking notes. Some people just really think and they, they kind of focus in and they, they focus on what they want to do in response. But come prepared to respond to God. Because, again, true worship ends that. It ends with obedience. And then also commit to Him. This is the last thing. Maybe this is the declaration you need to make today or this week. Get alone with God. Just sit alone with God. Take some time and declare this. God, here I am. Send me. God, 
Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Would you consider that? Committing your life. Maybe you've already become a Christian, but you've you kind of been holding back some things, and you're like, eh, I've got these things, and God, you can have this slice of my life, but what if you were to just say, God, I'm committing my will to You, whatever You ask me to do. And even, you know, next week, or in the weeks to come, God, if You show me something in my time with You alone, or if there's something that You speak, and You convict me of something, and You say, God, I want... You know, Josh, I want you to do something about this today. God, I'm committing right now to say, here I am, send me. I'll obey you. I would really encourage you to live and respond to God in that way. Let's, let's go before Him in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this, this example of worship where we see Isaiah and his whole life resized before You. And then just totally restored and and renewed and then and really committed. God, we thank you for this picture. God, I pray that Lord that very soon in the future, Lord, that many of the people in this room would that their stories would be that just like Isaiah, where we would just have the same kind of experience, Lord, where we're in awe and in gratitude, but then we, we just respond to You in obedience, God. There's, there's so much, God, in this life that You want us to be about that we often miss because of our own stuff. But God, there, there's challenges, Lord, that You are leading us towards in order to grow us, in order to change us. There are people in our lives, Lord, that You've specifically put there for us to reach out to, for us to love, for us to show kindness to, for us to share Your message with. God, help us not to miss out on those important assignments, Lord, just because we're caught up in our own thing. God, we bless You for the work You're doing in our lives. We worship You for who You are. And we thank You for loving us as we are. Thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus. Thank You for the cross. We are in gratitude, Lord. Bless the offering we're about to receive. Lord, as we set our hearts to obey You in the many areas, Lord, I, I pray You'd keep helping us to choose um, to live lives of sacrifice just as You've modeled that. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.